concern. Otherwise, it may be too late. For Free Speech Radio News, this is Amy Brown from WERU in East Orland, Maine. You've been listening to Free Speech Radio News. For Monica Lopez, Tana Gousset, Anitra Grisales, Leanne Caldwell, Antonio Ortiz, and Puck Lowe, I'm Jess Burns in Eugene, Oregon. What's going on in here? Well, I told you, we're remodeling closets. I knew this was going to happen eventually, but not so soon. Come on, it's a new year, time to start over. Plus, we need more room for all your nasty construction boots. Uh, You mean stiletto heels? Whatever, they take up a lot of space, Imelda. So what's the difference between this year's closet and last year's closet? Well, um, we're going to have more student voice, regular guest editorials. What about the music and the insightful investigative reporting? Um, oh, the gossip. Yeah, that'll still be there. Oh, thank my rainbows. Great. Let's get started. Hand me a glue stick and the glitter. Welcome to Closets Are For Clothes. Hysterical. Really? That's why I think they're in here. So, so... This is a mystery, oh, listeners of ours. Yes. There's always a glue stick in the studio when we get here. Right. So we don't know if it's like some hidden campaign for that people people want us to glue our glue our, our lips shut right. or something. Exactly. Or like, I don't know if there's some special way that the kids these days sniff glue sticks. Right, right. But, you know, we just listened to our own intro and it says, hand me a glue stick in the glitter. <laughs> and I'm like, they want us to redecorate. <laughs> I am a fool. <laughs> Holy moly. And you know, this place does need a little glitter. It does a little need you a know, little, little glitter. Spark, okay? You know? That's it's right. A-, <laughs> a little sparky spark. Well, hello. Hello. Hello, dear friends. You're Fine. listening to Closets for Clothes. Absolutely. Dan is just back from our oh. great capital, the capital of our great nation. Absolutely. Washington, District of Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is it really a state, which I always find fascinating. Yes, no, it's uh-huh. not. <laughs> so, Mm-mm. holy moly. So, I practiced what I preached while I was in D.C. I actually went and talked to some... St- uh, uh, st- st- uh, senators? St- st- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> senators, exactly. Senator Stamina and um, uh, Senator Levin. Mm-hmm. And then also... Debbie and Carl. That's right. Uncle and then- Debbie and Aunt Carl. <laughs> that's right. And, um, and then I also went to go see my representative, mm-hmm. um, who is Tim... Uh, Timmy. Um, uh, Tim Wahlberg. And uh, so it was a very interesting... Um, you know, they've done this before. Who's done what before? You know, they've actually, um, they've, you know, the, uh, they've actually had people come and visit before and tried to convince them to, uh, to think like they do. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I wonder why, you know. How does one think like a politician? Oh my gosh, I'll tell you, it's very conniving. I don't think we can say that on the air, right? (laughs) Exactly. But it was a really, uh, quite a learning lesson. Going to Lansing and then going to DC, I mean, one of the things that folks were telling me is that I... Um, uh, one of the reasons I went was that I was talking about higher education and things like this. So I wore a shirt that had um, uh, one of our local universities um, on my shirt and mm-hmm. things. And I went to and I went in and um, and apparently a friend of mine was telling me, well, that's why you got the cold shoulder when you went in, as because you weren't in a suit and tie. 
And I was like, but I'm not here to talk about suit and tie type of stuff. I'm here to talk about higher education. I mean, let's be real, right? Right, exactly. And so it was kind of it was kind of a very interesting. Um, it was kind of disappointing because I went to one one office and I could hear them in the other office talking um, about you. No, no, just oh. talking in general. And and I was just like, well, why couldn't they come out, shake my hand, and say thank you very much? Take ten seconds. I can't visit with you, but thank you very much. And then go back to whatever they were doing. You are a constituent. After well, that's what I thought, and so, but I was, I was kind of reminded that, you know, Dan, you are not a person as much as you have, uh, as much as you have influence and and are a leader in our community. You're not that much of a leader, and you're not that oh, much, you don't have on. that much influence. Don't they and, know that you have a big presence in our community? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> we're not talking about how fat I am. <laughs> You are a cornerstone. <laughs> and she says, and plus, you do not have money to give them. I said, I have five bucks. That's right. <laughs> so, I brought them a used coffee cup with yeah. change in it. Because that's what they allocated to us this year. That's right. Oh, that would be clever. Uh, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. So, you should have thrown a flip flop in there and been like, my foot's in the door. Let me in. Yeah. <laughs> that's what i would do exactly so but it was kind of disappointing because they you know yes i now i didn't and i need to be honest with you i really did not think i was going to actually meet with um uh the actual senators and the actual representative i was expecting you know so i knew i was going to meet with staff i mean i knew that ahead of time mm-hmm. um but in talking to them, it was very interesting about how they, the courteousness of like, we, we, yeah, we have to give you time and things like this, but we really, really don't care what you have to say. And, and the way they do that, like one person would just try to ask me questions that had nothing to do with higher education. Hmm. Um, and, and I being the very good talk host that I am, you know, talk show host, that they would try to get me off topic and I got right back on because one of them said, well, you know, it's, you know, it, but Michigan, we really need to take pride in and i says yes and you can take pride in michigan universities by giving us more funding for well such and such you know well and it was very interesting how we would try to talk about different things and they try to get me off talk topic and i let them for a little bit just like i do on the show mm. and then i pull them right back in and do that transition and of so like, how did it feel when you were done did you feel i like felt were- so slimy after i went to go see um my representative because we definitely have two very different um points of view mm. of how life should be um and he and it was very clear that they were not and and I already had the other thing too is they were all prepared because I had already had content to them about Enda, and so oh. when I walked in and I said, "What are you here to see the senator about, or who? What are you here to see the the representative about?" I stated to them, uh, uh, "I they they go, oh, I was like, I'm here to talk to them about uh, higher education and uh, university funding in Michigan," and they were like. And they looked at me and said, oh, you're not here about Enda? <laughs> and I was like, wow, they've got a file on me. <laughs> so, Good for But you. you know what? We are so powerful and influential, apparently, because I went, th- I had my appointment was last Friday. Uh-huh. Um, and on what happened Wednesday, they pass Enda without gender identity, but we won't talk Minus about that. Minus the T. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, but they did pass Enda. And then on um, Thursday, they did actually allocate some money, very like about a half a million dollars or almost a million dollars worth of funding toward universities hmm. so i was so i wrote my my 
uh, boss and said, see, they were so afraid of my appointment on this Friday. This is what I did. <laughs> they, you know, they had to make sure they could come back to me and says, yes, but we've already done that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was, it was a good experience. I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I had the experience. And now it's just all about that, you know, massaging the friendship, massaging the relationship. Mm. And so that, you know, they can actually give me maybe a, a higher staff person, not just the intern, you know? Right. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so who just kind of, cause there is a very interesting where like one person was writing everything I was saying, um, but they never let me look at the notes. They always kept it. So, so I was assuming they were doodling, you know, nice. you know, and then the <laughs> other one, you know, always trying to change the topic, but I have to admit. I, I went into Debbie Stabenow's office and the person was very uh, asked me about like what was the conference I was there for and all these different things. And she's like, oh, wow, that's really, really great. And then actually said, you know, we can help you at the end of the 20 minutes I was with them. Said, you know, our office can actually help you in the following ways and gave me a list of contact people. She says, but, you know, we can't do that through this office. You actually have to do it through in the Michigan office. Wow. And so I was really pleased. So you got to talk face to face with 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 Stabenow. No, 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 oh, no, 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 the, the staffer. But the staffer was really helpful and like, you know, this is how, you know, this is really great. Um, you know, so I felt like at least, you know, because when I went to go talk to the other folks, like, oh, well, how can we help you mm-hmm. to, to make this happen? They were just kind of like, well, could you, you just need to make sure that your vote is, you know, that you always vote for the right way and to make sure you know how we, how we decide to vote. And I'm kind of like, no, wait a minute here. This is not uh this is doesn't this isn't you know i was like wait a minute yeah but that's only one vote i can't right, influence right. the masses and so you just want to sort of shake them and be like listen to me exactly you know? so yeah so it's kind of a very so at least i went and did it i was glad that i you know made the effort and and um and and actually saw folks and so that i can be able to say that i did i have been a part of the political process and and practicing what i preach that's excellent so yeah well so. done and one last thing the lincoln memorial is in no monument the lincoln monument is incredible is that where he's sitting yes i mean the five dollar bill does not do it justice <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so um, did you like sit on his foot or something? oh my gosh well i sat on i crawled up you know sat on his lap and things like nice. this and, you know, and just kind of gave him the thumbs up while they took pictures of me something about the police came and public nice. safety you know there was something about you know um homeland security showed up oh, it was whatever. <laughs> no no but but it was amazing the fact that the i mean his foot alone is bigger than me i mean mm. just his foot so you know what that means no i'm just no but yeah but i just love the detail like the back of his coat to the back of the chair his coats you know is like shows the wrinkles and not like the folds, but the actual like, right. where it's, you know. And so did you go, what other sites did you see? Did you go to the memorial? Yes. I went to, I, I went to almost all the memorials. I went to the, uh, v- uh Vietnam uh, Veterans Memorial. I went to the, uh, um, I went to the World War II Memorial. So Tomb of Soldier. Yes. It was just like, it was just like, oh my gosh. And it is really, I mean, to be honest with you, it is impressive. I mean, I really have to admit, they do have some very impressive monuments and, and to look at some of the stuff and and to be able to i have to admit i i was kind of confused when i went to the world war ii mine a lot of the the situation they're not in alphabetical order um and they're not not in alphabetical order. the states are not the the states are not in alphabetical order what are they in order by they're by the way they joined the union 
Oh. Oh, and here's a trivia question. Uh oh. What state in the union uh-huh. um, has a two sided flag that both sides are different? <gasps> what? So, yeah, there's one. There's one side is different from the other side. You know, the, and I just thought like, no way. Is it an early joiner? Or, or um, it's the thirty third one. Oh wow. I know. So it's kind of like halfway. Hmm. It's on the west coast, on the Pacific. Oregon. Yes, very good. <gasps> oh, I guess, I guess, I guess. I suck at geography, by the way. I did too. I looked. I, the only way I knew that is that I was riding the train, uh, train underneath the Capitol, and there was people in from Oregon. They said, "Oh, and by the way, did you know that we're the only state with two-sided flags?" I went, "Really? Where are you from?" What? And they go, "Oregon." Who? What is that? An icebreaker? Did you have to say something about a state when you're on the train? Or something? No, no, no. I was over li- overhearing the. Oh, uh, yeah, I was, I was with one and intern, then and they were you, with another intern. Ah, interesting. And then were you like, "Oh yeah, well, my my state's shaped like a mitt." Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, well, it's good, interesting. good. Yes. Well, Dan, you know, I have been thinking a lot lately. You know, um, we both work with students in some capacity yes. and working with um, students right now is a really high pressure time, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, it, it being the holidays, it's midterms right. the, in Michigan, you know, the sun has set and it's barely six. Oh my God. You know, that sort of thing. I'm having a hard time getting used to that. Right, right. And so, um, I read a press release the other day, and it was uh, a joint press release from a couple different places. It was from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association, and the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. Hmm. And apparently last week they had the first um, conference on LGBT suicide. So oh, they discussed wow. research and treatment and prevention. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, I recognized some of the names that were at the, the conference. It was... Um, it in Chicago. Um, so I invited um, the research director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Dr. Ann Haas, to, to talk with us today a little bit about what they talked about at last week's conference. Dr. Haas, are you with us? Yes, I am, Gabe. Good Hi, welcome. You. Welcome Thanks to Closet Silver Clothes. Closed. We're so glad that you could join us tonight to talk about the great work that um, is being done um, at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and other and otherwise. So, can you can you tell us a little bit about what was the impetus to make this this conference, this first ever conference of its kind, happen? Sure, um, I'm sure you know that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is the um, the largest uh, private foundation that is uh, exclusively dedicated to. Uh, really supporting research and education on uh, suicide across all segments of the population. And for some time now, um, we've been hearing, as I'm sure you have too, reports uh, largely anecdotal, but some in the published um, literature, that um, GLBT populations have strikingly higher rates of suicide attempts than the general population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we felt that um, it, it was important to um, put some resources behind bringing people who have been studying this phenomenon for some years uh, together to really have a conversation about uh, what we know, what we don't know, uh, and where those gaps exist. What do we need to do to really get the answers to the questions that remain? And on that basis, hopefully, be able to design more effective uh, suicide prevention strategies. So were you finding that prior to this conference, all of these, these researchers weren't talking to each other? 
Well, you know, it's it's been um, a really interesting kind of process. If you look back, there's there's a whole mainstream suicide research community. Uh, people who've been studying suicide for lots and lots of years on lots of different angles. And the striking thing about that accumulated research is that sexual orientation and gender identity are virtually invisible. Hmm. Very, very few mainstream uh, suicide researchers have given attention to to those variables in their studies. So while we have years of accumulated research findings, whether that's in epidemiology mm-hmm. or psychology, clinical medicine, uh, neuroscience, genetics, all of those fields are so represented in mainstream suicide research, but you won't find any real mention of sexual orientation or gender identity there. Mm-hmm. So where do, where do we get the anecdotal... Sorry, go a, ahead. A kind of a parallel um, literature that's been developing by a relatively small number of very dedicated, very skilled researchers who have been just doggedly going after this question of what can we find out about uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender suicide. Mm-hmm. And these two parallel research trends were, were existing without coming together. And we felt that as a foundation that has been um, part of the mainstream suicide research in this country as well as around the world, um, we really had an obligation to try to uh, breach this gap, Mm. to bring researchers from both camps together, uh, to begin talking to each other, to really share what we know and put our heads together and try to come up with some solutions. So the anecdotal numbers that they mentioned, the anecdotal evidence and the numbers that are often used in mainstream media and education is that, you know, is that LGBT kids, LGBT youth are 30% more likely to attempt or complete suicide. So, so are we finding that that number is too high, too low, not proven? Well, again, I think we have to draw a clear distinction between attempt and complete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it comes to completed suicide, the official statistics that are collected by the states and then passed on to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention do not measure sexual orientation or gender identity. Mm -hmm. So in the official statistics, there's nothing that we know about gay completed suicide. There's been a couple of attempts to do some studies using procedures that we call psychological autopsies, going back to families, acquaintances, work colleagues, and so on, in cases of completed suicide, trying to reconstruct why this occurred. Mm -hmm. A couple of researchers have tried to do this looking at sexual orientation. It hasn't been hugely successful. By and large, what they've come up with is, uh, well, there doesn't seem to be a disproportionate number of gay people who are killing themselves. Mm -hmm. It's just methodologically those studies have some real flaws, Mm -hmm. and I think the conclusions are not sound. But where this leaves us is that we just don't know. We don't have good data on completed suicide among LGBT populations. I think that's that we came to as a consensus point very early in our discussions. 
So the, the whole quote that we usually use of that 33% of teen suicides are LGBT related is not true then? No, it really isn't. That quote um, stemmed from a study that, um, that was published in 1989. It was really the, um, from the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington. The secretary called for a task force to really look at youth suicide. And one chapter in that report that has become very controversial was published by a researcher by the name of Gibson. Um, and Gibson was the one, I mean, he really made two assertions in that. One was that GLBT youth are two to three times more likely than heterosexual youth to make suicide attempts. And his second assertion was that of all youth suicide, approximately 30% are accounted for by GLBT kids. Now, the first part, the first assumption there, or his assertion rather, really has been supported. The literature, including some very sound studies, clearly points to a higher rate of suicide attempts particularly among youth, in the order of two to three times. But the second part, that about one-third of all completed suicides by youth are GLBT kids, has never been substantiated. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, so there was a consensus point then that there, is, there are no reliable numbers regarding the correlation between LGBT and suicide rates. And, and completed suicide, completed suicide, suicide deaths. Now we can we can argue that um, the, the attempts, particularly serious attempts, um, are often the best predictor we have of completed suicide. But there are some real limitations to that prediction. Overall, uh, among the U.S. population, for example, women make far more suicide attempts than do men, and yet men constitute about 80% of all completed completed suicides. suicides, So we don't know whether that's the picture that we will ultimately get. Um, Are GLBT populations more similar in in terms of having that very high rate of attempts and a lower rate of completions? Mm -hmm. Or is this a distinct population that has both high rates of attempts and high rates of completions. We just don't know that. So often we talk about, um, and I believe it to be true, and, you know, so LGBT people don't attempt to complete suicide because of their identities as LGBT, right? But but an environmental lack of support and, and affirmation? Absolutely. Okay. So, right. Right. Yes, I think that there's, there's really two things that we need to consider. In the mainstream suicide literature, repeatedly we have found that the major cause of suicide is psychiatric disorder, notably depression, anxiety disorders, often accompanied by substance abuse. Mm. Now, studies of of LGBT populations have shown higher prevalence 
of those psychiatric disorders in those populations compared to heterosexuals. Mm -hmm. But the question that we need to ask here is, what is that about? You know, what's really giving rise to higher depression, higher anxiety, and higher substance abuse? And there we have um, many very valid-sounding hypotheses that as yet have not been adequately tested that refer to the concept of what we call broadly minority stress or gay stress. And that's kind of an easy way of summarizing all of the kinds of Um, of stressful life situations that gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered people in this society face, whether that's individual uh, prejudices or discrimination on an individual level at school, at work, or whether it's more of an institutional kind of discrimination of, of what it is to really grow up gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered in this society. And I think all of us who have experienced that um, certainly can attest to the fact that there are more stresses for GLBT people than there are for the, for the normal population. So was there anything at the conference that that talked about how we could those of us that are in the in the field as in um it, it working with students or working with youth uh, that um d- directly um providing services i guess i'm trying to say is that it, that uh, things that we could look for or prevention things that we could do to help um it's a very good question um i think it starts really with sensitivity about the kinds of difficulties that uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered students are experiencing. Diagnoses alone, I don't think, are going to carry the day here. Hmm. We, we certainly have the beginnings of, of um, a, really a strong literature that is developing that show that suicide attempts don't always correlate neatly with psychiatric disorders. So there are suicide attempts by gay and lesbian people who don't have a diagnosis. On the other hand, there are many people who may have a diagnosis, but that's only the tip of the iceberg as to what's really going on with that person. So we, wow. need, we need better research, but rather than waiting for that, I think that we could, we could say let's work with the hypothesis that um, gay-related stress, minority stress, certainly, theoretically at least, does give rise to some of the psychiatric disorders that may be diagnosed. And those are the kinds of things I think we need to be sensitive about. We need to, to really work with, um, with the, the unique stresses that LGBT students are facing. Is there a concern that the research on LGBT suicide attempts and completions will be used to fuel, say, for example, ex-gay ministries and right. and, and other, um, you know, other organizations that that want to refute um, gay people's lives? Right. Yeah, that that is a really excellent question, and it was something that 
that we discussed at the conference. If we go back, really, and sort of take a a long look at this, um, go back into this, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and on up, we see that this whole area of of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender suicide has been um, just interpreted and used um, on both sides of the issues. And we should broaden that to say it's not only suicide, but also just mental health in general. You know, we prior to 1972, homosexuality was pathology, mm-hmm, per se, mm-hmm. as defined. Um, and then we went through a period where we almost swung, had the pendulum swing all the way over to the other direction, saying there just aren't any differences. Mm-hmm. Gay people, lesbian people are no different than heterosexuals. So for a while, through the 70s and the 80s, we were kind of going on that tack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then people started saying, wait, you know, this if there's no differences, it just closes off discussion of some of the special stresses that LGBT people face. Right. And that doesn't really seem to come to bear. No, so no, no. we've had this back and forth, and you're absolutely right that there is a, a very definite risk that whatever the reality actually is, that we don't yet have clearly documented, but whatever it is can and probably will be used um, against the interest of gay and lesbian people. Hmm. I think we have we have to go into it expecting that. But what is most important I think is that whatever we do, we now have the research tools and the ability to really get the answers. What are the numbers here? What's what are the facts? And then rather than making something out of those facts that serves a political point, on one side of the issue or another, let's go into it in in good faith um, to to really address the problems that those facts represent. So, are you guys going to be meeting again next year and hopefully have some of those questions answered? Yes. What our plan is: the first step that we're going to take is to hopefully get a report from the conference that reflects the consensus as well as the recommendations for change in certain areas, uh, we want to get that published. We're looking to get it published in a, um, a really high-impact medical journal where we'll get some visibility. And we hope to be spending the next six months just really working on that paper and getting it out. And then from there, there's considerable interest among the participants in continuing to meet in smaller groups um, based on particular interests. There are people, for example, that are very interested in prevention interventions. There are others that are um, more interested in public education messaging. Um, still others are interested in, in really trying to further the research agenda um, through the National Institute of Mental Health, through private foundations such as ours that fund research and so on. So I, I look for this to be something that um, we're really in this for what I would hope would be at least a five-year plan. 
Is there any, um, are there any plans to partner with organizations like GLSEN, the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, or the Trevor Project in the future? Um, definitely. That was something that was discussed at the conference, and there's a great deal of enthusiasm in reaching out to all sectors um, in the community that are really working on this problem. Um, absolutely. Uh, we need, um, we need every, uh, voice. We need every bit of resources and energy that that are out there to come and to, to really look at this problem and help us with it. Uh, and we certainly want to help existing organizations with what we we've found out, and we will hope we'll find out more. Um, at this first step in this in this process, we felt it was important to really have it be about. The knowledge. What do we know? Where are our knowledge gaps? Because that's what we need to take forward in designing good prevention. What are the strategies that that will really work? Um, those need to be based on what we know about uh, what's what's the cause of the problem. Excellent, excellent. Well, doc, we've been talking to Dr. Ann Haas, the research director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Dr. Haas, thank you so much for joining us today on Closets Are Foreclosed. Um, we look forward, Dan and I, as well as our listeners, look forward to, to contributing to helping to solve this problem about LGBT suicide. Well, thank you for your interest, Gabe and Dan. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care. Good night. Good Bye-bye. night. So you're the wow. same. I know. It's, it's. I think it's powerful. I think it's important. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's great that um, there are heads getting together to talk about and absolutely. think about this. Absolutely. That's the. That's I think the hope that comes from that. Yeah. Is that there's a there's a foundation and a, a group of researchers that are out there really wanting to go and solve the solve this issue. Right. And if you want to learn more, visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, and also, if you or someone you know needs help, um, visit the Trevor Project. Um, online, which is trevorproject.org. Perfect. Um, we are going to take a quick break. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, closets are foreclosed. Um, we're going to listen to the Shandies. Yes, we are. I heart the Shandies. Woohoo! And they're coming to town. So um, uh, we'll be right back.
Andy, you're listening to Clauses for Clothes in WCB and MFM <laughs> Ann Arbor. I'm going to try to see if I can say that faster and faster every single time. <laughs> so um, that was um, the Banshee. <laughs> the Shandies, excuse me. Um, that was the Shandies, and that is one of their new singles called Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Yes. And I hope Yes, that I song. will love you tomorrow. Y T Y. So um, we're going to talk a little bit of to the Shanis as well as um, we have Bethany here yes. from um, Shebang, uh-huh. which is, uh, and she'll tell us all about it. It's really cool. It's this uh, this women's night that happens in Ipsy. Um, but I think we're joined now by Elijah. Hi. Hi. Hi, Elijah. Welcome to Clock Hi, can you hear me all right? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so you're going to be coming into um, uh, Ypsilanti uh, real soon, from my understanding. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. Um, it's actually uh, the second stop on our tour, um, where we're going to um, we're going around the country to promote our new record. So, um, and we've actually um, played at Chubang before, and everyone has just been so fabulous to us, and we love Ann Arbor. So, we're super excited about it. All right, great. Well, that's great. And you're based out of New York, right? Yeah, yeah. We all live in Brooklyn. Excellent. And and um, did you just you just ended a tour and you're going on another one or um, we toured um, uh, in the last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. And then we really wanted to focus on on recording and making a record before we came out again. So excellent. So now's the time. And so that record is called um, it's called The Red Sea that's coming yeah. out on January uh, January 11th. I have here uh, 2008. Yeah, we're not actually officially releasing it until January, but we're selling pre-release copies on the tour. So, oh, so we will definitely have copies to sell at the at the Shebang show. Yay. So, and we're joined by Bethany from Shebang. Hello. Oh, is her mic on? Yep, yeah, it is. Did okay, you guys great. Hear me? Yes, there we go. Hello. Yay. How are you? <laughs> Hi Bethany. Hi Elijah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Shebang. Um, Shebang is an alter- alternative uh, lesbian, queer, transgender night that we're doing in Ypsilanti every Wednesday night um, at TC Speakeasy. And um, we try to feature different music, such as the Shandies. Um, last week we had Goddess and She, and we're just trying to um, do gender bender type music. And then we also do karaoke that's, that will be featured this evening. Um, special performances, like we're trying to book... Um, Cowgirl Cabaret and stuff like that. Maybe Suicide Girls mm-hmm. we're working on. You had Drag um, King Rebellion. We had Drag mm-hmm. King Rebellion. Um, we're also trying to get the Roller Derby Girls out. Stuff like that. It's fun, different performances that um, are entertaining and engaging for specifically women, but I think everybody thinks it's fun. Yeah. So, um, Absolutely. So what are these nights turning into? I mean, what are they... Because this is new to Ypsilanti, correct? We've been doing it for about six weeks now, and um, I uh, think that... Our worst nights are probably uh, three or four of us just kind of looking around at each other and, hmm, what do we need to do to promote it better? <laughs> and uh, we've really started to gain some momentum. The past two or three weeks, we've had over um, 90 paid covers consistently. Wow. Um, we don't charge cover on karaoke nights, but when we have live bands, it's about the independent music and supporting them and being able to give them money to make it to their next Absolutely, Gig. and we need to definitely, definitely, our community needs to definitely support um, um, our our bands and and uh, music. Yeah, that's so, what it's all about for me. Absolutely, so. great. So, um, Elijah, how did um, how did Shandy's get started, or how long has this uh, have you guys been together? Um, well, the the four of us met um, 
have sort of known each other and, you know, trickled into each other's lives for a while now. Um, but we've been playing together as the Shondas for um, about a year and a half now. Um, and we, we actually, a lot of us met doing um, political work, and a lot of our music is pretty political, um, so it's, it's kind of fitting, actually. Gosh. And how would you describe, because I was reading some of the um, descriptions of the work you do, and it seems that there's a variety of descriptions for you music. So how would you define it? Um, I mean, we call ourselves a rock band for sure, um, but we all we all come from kind of different musical backgrounds and think that we sort of bring all of those things to um, to our music in a pretty like integrated way. You know, whether it's from like Riot Girl and feminist punk, or like you know, I'm the violinist, so I was trained classically, and our bassist was actually um, also trained uh, classically on piano, and um, you know three of us are Jewish and grew up listening to a lot of traditional Jewish music and klezmer and that sort of stuff. And I think a lot of those things kind of find their way in there somehow. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, and that's exactly it. It was, there were some of them were talking about it being, um, a, like a, a feminist punk and Jewish, uh, melody with a Jewish melody or a punk gypsy folk. And I'm like, Wow, that's quite a variety of pictures that come up with all those <laughs> descriptions. Dynamic. Absolutely, I think, it makes, I think it makes more sense when you hear it sometimes than when I try to describe it. You know, right, right, exactly. And we did at the break. We were listening to um, the "We Still Love You Tomorrow." Absolutely, um, which is going to yeah, be yeah. That's um, that's uh, the single off off this record. So we're hoping. Um, we're hoping that, you know, thanks for playing that. We want everyone to be able to hear it. So we're, we're just so excited. This is our first record, so we're just so excited about it and want to get it out there as much as we can. Absolutely. So, Elijah, you do vocals and violin, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't sing that much. I, I sing um, lead vocals on, on two songs on the record, but definitely, like, violin is my, is my primary thing. And I've been playing, I, uh, I started playing when I was really little, um, but then got into got into rock music and that totally changed my life. So I'm I'm super happy to be doing this. So do you find it challenging to write parts for the violin in rock music? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that I, I think that writing them comes easily to me, and then I have to rein myself in. Um, oh. It's the it's the editing, I guess, that's harder um, because you know the violin is really like another voice. And so I think the biggest challenge for me trying to figure out how to play in the rock band is how to how to let my instrument do what it needs to do. But um, you know, in rock music, the the lead the lead vocal is really the main thing. That's really what you want to be listening to. And so um, sometimes the violin can like it has the the potential of distracting from that. And so I think you know I try to integrate what I'm doing more with the guitars and the and, and the bass and sort of integrate musically in a way that like adds a you know, a drama and a, and a fullness to the, to the music, but that doesn't like distract from the singing, you know? Absolutely. And so um, one of the things, well, no, I'm, what I was thinking is I was thinking about some of the, um, we've been having a lot of folks that have um, a violin background and, and, and I find it very fascinating the, of how folks have started to use it like more in rock and more in, and the non-traditional where it's a classic, uh, and even in your, um, um, uh, bio, thank you very much. Um, it, it's, I thought it was very interesting that your sixth grade orchestra said that the one Ron Fiddler spoils uh, the the string section. Yet, I think you're probably more successful than any of the other sixth grade people that were playing the violin at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, I, um, 
I, I, it's, I actually find it fascinating how many people come up to me at shows and, you know, say, oh, God, I used to play violin when I was little, or I, I played violin in, in school, and I loved it so much, but I don't play anymore. And, um, you know, and, oh, God, now I've seen what you have done, and I want to go play violin in a punk band. And I'm like, yeah, go do it, go do it, you know. And it's actually, I it um, it ties into, for in my mind anyway, it, like, ties into... Uh, like identity issues and queerness a lot, you know, like I'm at, I feel like I'm using violin in a queer way. And a lot of the, the, um, the reasons yeah, why I quit violin in the first place was about just like feeling like I couldn't be myself in it, you know, in that, in that world. And so being able to use that in a way that like speaks to me in a, in a different way is like kind of pretty like incredible for me and exciting and fulfilling and all that so. absolutely definitely so that's where um because that's very interesting that you, that you say that because i i'm um it, it's fascinating to me that the, the politics that you have as a group and in your music um and and one kind of like it, it was that kind of the what brought you guys together to to and and got you guys on tour because you wanted people to hear what you had to say or what I mean, I think it's I think it's everything all at once. We certainly didn't set out to you know to you know preach at people. I think that we set out to write songs that were like deeply personal to us and about our lives. And you know, all of us are are political, and so the way that we express our our personal stuff and our like and our lives like has a political sort of angle to it i guess you'd say or like that's the lens through which we like experience the world and experience our lives and so i think that to me that's what's so powerful about it is that it's like very deeply personal and and it, and it's political at the same time and and that's not separate and i think i think that is one of the things that that makes us that well that drives us to do it in the first place and that like makes us a little bit different you know like mm-hmm. because you know, people can come to our shows and dance and have a really good time, but also there's substance there, you know, and and I think that um, I think that a lot of people are really grateful for that. Well, and you also say on, uh, I was reading a, an article that was on GayWire.com of where you also invite people to come in, come up and talk uh, during your show, and like you basically you said that you, you like to share your stories with organizers and activists that are in the community. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's funny, um, I was just uh, uh, talking about this the other day, you know, going on tour, you know, we all we all do activism here in New York, but when you go on tour, and it's, it's a lot of fun, but it also, like, there's something strange about it, I think, you know, like hopping around from community to community, and you, you meet great people, but it's not like you really are a part of that community, you know, and we're not activists in the communities that we, that we go to on tour, because we don't live there, and, you know, so I think one way that we've been able to like feel a little bit more grounded about doing that is being like okay well we're here and we're excited to play music for you but we don't know your community so we're going to invite people who are who do know your community and who like are your community and are doing really exciting work to you know to use this as a community space and bring like let like let their activism and our music like bring people together and have a good night and be able to like learn stuff and i think like some of the most like awesome things that have happened after our shows or, you know, people will email us afterwards and be like, oh, you know, I met this person and this person and this person at your show and we started talking about politics and now we're doing this, this like, political art project together or now we're doing this protest together or whatever. And, you know, so I think we, like, 
like to use our shows as opportunities for people to do organizing in, our, in their own communities that we obviously, as outsiders, can't do. I think that's really empowering and awesome. I like that you do that and that you are like a spark for um, people to go ahead and, and create their own synergy and keep the momentum after your show because your message is so powerful. And I really commend you guys for that. So hey, one of the things well, it's spaces like yours that make it possible. So. <laughs> Thank you. Aww. Um, so one of the I think our next um, song that we're going to be doing is called Let's Go. Could you tell me a little bit about about um, this song? Yeah, um, this is uh, definitely one of our like happier songs. Um, we wrote it uh, sort of about what we're talking about, you know, just like the desire to live our lives with, you know, integrity and passion. And, you know, for us, that means a lot of, you know, doing a lot of political work and being committed to justice. Um, but as all of us know, anyone who cares about that sort of thing, you know, life can be pretty, pretty awful and, um, and hard and depressing. And you, you work for things and they don't happen and, you know, all this stuff. So this song is really about sort of, um, the desire, the the desire to live like that and be happy and be there for each other and to be grateful to to be alive and to be able to have the kind of life where we you know struggle in community with those we love and um, you know just being I think we wrote it to like you know help keep ourselves help keep ourselves going so and um, and we're actually at the very beginning we're we're yelling let's go in English and um, Lomer Gain which means uh, which means let's go in Yiddish so ah. kind of a more of uh, one of our songs that's more of a tribute to sort of our, our more Yiddishy backgrounds. All right, so we're going to be listening to Let's Go from uh, the album or the CD, uh, The Red Sea. Thanks so much, guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
and 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 that was the Shondas, uh, yes. and they're playing at TC Speakeasy. Yes, in Ypsilanti. I believe so. On November twenty eighth. November twenty eighth. She bang, she bang, bang. That's right. It's she bang. Um, so that's gonna be really exciting. She wings an awesome space at TC Speakeasy. It is. It's great, and it's growing, and. Um, yeah, we've had over 100 people there like the last two weeks in a row, so we're hoping for a great show for the Shondas. And it's located at 207 West Michigan Avenue in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And if you're going to map quest it, it's 48197. Um, there will be a cover that night to help um, take care of the band, and then but we usually run drink specials all night as well. Fantastic. We'll Excellent. make it worth it, we promise. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we did get to hear some of the violin in Let's Go. So that was pretty good. Yes, absolutely. And you know, so what does Shana's um mean? It's a Yiddish for It means like um like disgrace or shame, like, you know, if you did something that that uh that embarrassed your grandparents or something, they they might be like Oh, you're such a Shonda. I can't believe you went on the radio saying you were queer like that. You know? uh, nice. <laughs> so it's not a mensch. You can't say it's a mensch, No, right? we've sort of reclaimed the word. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, we're excited to <laughs> we see you. We're excited to see you um, on November 28th yes. at TC Speakeasy. And we were talking with Elijah from the Shondas. Elijah, thanks for being in the Closet for Clothes. Thanks so much for having me. Um, hopefully, I'll see you on the 28th. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. And um, uh, Shebang also has a, an event coming up in December? We do. Um, we uh, do Shebang every Wednesday night, and the next band that we'll have, though, is December 12th, so 12-12, and that's the Dirty Damn Band from Toledo. Um, I also want to mention that Tracy Mack is going to be opening up for the Shondas um, oh. on the 28th. Great. So another fine artist. Um, and doors are usually at 9, and we try to start the festivities by 10 p.m. Um, if there's um, you know, any delay in that, uh, we apologize. And people can check out Shebang at MySpace, right? That's correct. Awesome, awesome. So Great. that's exciting. There's Absolutely. a lot of stuff going on. Oh, and there's also a calendar on the TC Speakeasy website. I forget about that. I apologize. It's tcspeakeasy.com. Great. And there's a calendar in there, too, that does, so you can know which night is karaoke mm-hmm, or which night mm-hmm. to expect special entertainment or performers. Um, or which nights we're going to do live band. And we try to keep it um, pretty updated and, and into the future. Excellent. Great. And we're talking with Bethany from Shebang and tonight's karaoke night at Shebang and TC Speakeasy and Ipsy. Yay. Yay. Thanks, Bethany. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having Excellent. us. Excellent. So there's something else going on, I believe. Well, I was just going to tell you that um, I'm going to see Rocky Hort this weekend. What? I know. Where? It's going to be awesome. So Musket, or University <coughs> Activity Center uh, here at University of Michigan, is having... Um, they're showing uh, the Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror, Horror show, pictures, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited. It's, uh, tickets are on sale at the Mi- at Michigan League ticket office, and it's at the Power Center all weekend. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine, Peter, was playing Dr. Frankfurter. We went to high school together. Oh, wow. So, and he looks pretty fierce in fishnets, I'm not going to lie. Oh, wow. I know, right? So, so wait, but this is the, a live performance? It's the live performance. It's the stage version. Oh, so this is the, the uh, movie. No, no. It's the stage oh, version of wow. Rocky Horror. And it's going to be pretty fierce, so get your tickets soon. Absolutely. It'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. So, so yeah. So, I'm going to do that. What are you going to do this weekend? I'm sleep. Well, nice. Because <laughs> I am so tired after the traveling. So, um, but yes. Um, but but you know what? I probably end up going to the powerhouse. Uh, powerhouse. Powerhouse. Oh, my gosh. Power um, Center. Power Center. And, uh, to see Rocky Horror. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, that's Clauses of Forgotten for this week. You know, I think next week we're going to be talking about 
Transgender Day Remembrance. Yes, which is going to be on... Um, it's November 20th. Yes. But we'll, we'll be reflecting on it on November 21st. It's our next Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Terrific. Okay, thanks for listening to Calls for Clothes and WCBN FM and Arbor. That wasn't as fast as I thought. No, it no. So we'll, we'll get it going. Okay. <laughs> See y'all later. Thanks for listening to Closets Are For Clothes every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor 88.3. You can contact us by calling 734-763-3500 or writing to 530-SAB Ann Arbor, Michigan 48109. And don't forget our new email address, wcbncloisets at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the speaker and are not the opinions of WCBN or their license the regents of the University of Michigan. For Dan Burns and engineer Alex Belhage, I'm Gabe Javier. Remember, be yourself because you don't get to be anyone else.